Okay, we're going to come to the what we call the early Galilean miracles uh, in the in the uh, outline. Uh, these are seven miracles. Which now to, to get to time now, we have we have skipped point five in the outline, which is the Sermon on the Mount, and we will talk about that tomorrow because it is so closely related to the theme of our of our weekend study. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That is from the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll talk about tomorrow. But we've now moved beyond that. We've passed the preparation period. Sign one is over. The twelve have been called. Christ has given them the great uh, discourse, which we think should be it's ca- commonly called Sermon on the Mount because it was given on Mount Tabor. And but it is really Christ's discourse to the called to set forth the principles of their hope. That is the hope of Israel. Okay. But as he came down from the mount, there appeared a leper. Now, for these miracles, we want to go to Luke rather than Mark. And the reason is the, the third one, which is the raising of the widow's son at Nain, that, that miracle is only recorded in Luke. But if you turn to Luke 5, and we're going to have to uh, read through these fairly quickly, but the healing of the leper... Uh, in verse 12 it came to pass when he was in a certain city behold a man full of leprosy who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying Lord if thou wilt thou canst make me clean and he put forth his hand and touched him and said I will be thou clean and immediately his leprosy departed from him and notice what he says and he charged him to tell no man but to go and show thyself to the priest offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. So, don't tell anybody. Go to the priest. Offer what Moses commanded you to offer. Okay. Leprosy represents always sin. Note the element of faith. Lord, if thou wilt. And his answer, I will be thou clean. Tell no man. Keep the requirements of the law. Okay, remember John 5.17. Until now my father worketh, and now I am working. All right, we note the leper was a sinner, required faith to be healed. He was a Jew. He was uncircumcised of heart, needed to see Christ, requiring faith, and would then be under the Abrahamic covenant. See, bear in mind, that was how one passed from the law of Moses to the Abrahamic covenant. It was only by understanding a Jew was born and circumcised into the, Abraham, into the Mosaic Covenant, and as soon as he understood what Moses' law pointed to, he became Abrahamically related to the covenants of promise. Okay, until now, and now until Jesus Christ offered, he would still keep the ordinance prescribed with understanding till the law would be fulfilled at his death. In other words, Christ, remember, we'll talk about this tomorrow in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I have not come to take away the law, but to fulfill the law. 
So we are still in that transitional period. The disciples of, uh, have been called. The law of Christ is going forth. The ordinance of baptism has been implemented. But still, they, under the law, were told, and this leper is a shining example of it, and he's saying this to his disciples. You know, watch what's going to happen. And they watched. Right, two, the second miracle is very, I think, a very outstanding miracle. It's the centurion servant. It happened at Capernaum. Uh, it's recorded in Luke 7. Uh, Capernaum happens to mean, by the way, city of consolation. Uh, you note in, uh, in verse 2, a certain centurion servant was, was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. He... Uh, uh, you know, they, the elders of the Jews want Christ to help him because he loves our nation and he has built us a synagogue. Notice what the centurion says. Lord, I'm not even worthy that you should come into my, under my roof, but only speak the word. And then he uh, identifies himself. All right, we note the centurion is a Gentile, not worthy that Christ should come into his house. He loved the Jewish nation and built them a synagogue. Note the element of faith that he had to have. Christ said to him, I have not found so great faith in Israel. The centurion recognized authority. We must recognize authority. Christ told him in Matthew that that the Gentiles would sit in the kingdom of heaven and the Jews would be cast out. That's the same miracle as it's recorded in, in the Gospel of, of Matthew. The centurion's faith caused his servant to be healed. Jesus did not enter his house. Now why didn't Jesus go to his house? We believe that the time was not yet. Brother Mansfield in, in points out that he believes, and, and I concur with this, that Seven to ten years later, Peter would visit the same centurion, Cornelius, recorded in Acts 10. If you know, and we don't want to take the time to do it today, but if you look at Acts 10 and notice Cornelius' feelings toward the Jewish people were quite similar to this unnamed, unnamed centurion in the healing whose servant was healed. Now, I think it's a very... Beautiful story of the call of the Gentiles. And why Christ didn't go to the house then was the time was not yet. We were, they were still in the period of the teaching to the house of Israel. The call of the Gentiles was not to be accomplished until, until we moved into the apostolic era. Still we'd be in the fifth day. But we were, we were in that last days of the, uh, of the Jewish Okay, so now I want you just to reflect. We, we have, in the first two, we have the healing of the leper and we have the healing of the centurion's, the centurion's servant, probably identifying both with future times in which both Jew and Gentile would be brought into covenant relationship. Abrahamic covenant, if you would. Okay, the third miracle, the widow's son at Nain. Nain, incidentally, the, the, the name of the, the city itself means pleasant place to dwell. Okay? The, the Lord, this is only recorded in Luke, in the seventh chapter of Luke. 
And we pick it up in verse 11 and notice that it says, And it came to pass the day after that he went to the city called Nain. And we want you to remember, you know, our days as we count down. The widow identifies with Israel. Look in uh, uh, Isaiah 54, and this is just one of many, many verses you could look at. Some probably know it uh, better, know better verses than these. But look at Isaiah 54, 4 and 5, which reads, Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded. For thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt not forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer. Okay, the well, Israel. He was nigh to the gate of the city. The widow's son. Jesus would raise up after two days. A foretelling of future elevation of the Jews in the presence of his redeemed. The disciples and many people, the nation of the sheep variety. And here, you know, we are casting ourselves forward 2,000 years when the Jews and, the, and Gentiles would, in the presence of the multitudinous Christ, after the judgment seat, be elevated to a position of prominence in the kingdom of God, which we'll deal a little bit more when we look at Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood 12 years, which are the sixth and seventh of these miracles. Okay, note verse 16. It says, and this is right after he has said to that young man, I say unto thee, Arise, and he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother, and there came fear on all that they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen among us, and that God hath visited his people. Now, think of it as it happened that day in Nain, but more importantly, I want you to think of it as it will happen in a day yet future, when that statement will be made, uh, a great prophet is risen among us, and that God has visited his people. That's the restoration of Zion. It's a glimpse of the future age when the everlasting gospel is preached and our Savior is in the earth. The day of resurrection, and remember here this day, this young man was raised from death uh, by our Lord. The day of resurrection is seen by the Jews in the words of, Je of Jesus to the widow. Weep not. Notice that he says there in verse 13, he said unto her, weep not. And we, we remember two occasions in the prophets that they did weep. Joseph, when he made himself known to his brethren in Genesis 45, 2, says, it says Joseph wept. And then, in, and we might turn to Zechariah 12, because we think that this is a, a prophet, a, an elaboration by Christ to his disciples of, of this prophecy. Uh, Verse 10 of Zechariah 12. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me, me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And that day there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hayden Rumman in the valley of Megiddo. 
and the land shall mourn every family apart the family of the house of David apart and their wives apart the family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart okay a, fore- a foretelling of this in the third miracle of the early Galilean miracles. Now I want you just to keep in mind that his disciples were sitting there listening to his discourses and seeing these miracles performed. You know, again we want to draw on, on Lazarus, the seventh sign. It was one thing for Christ to say to them, I am the resurrection and the life. So it was another thing for him to say, Lazarus, come forth. Okay, the fourth miracle was the calming of the winds and water on Galilee. It's recorded in Luke 8, among other, also Mark 4 and Matthew 8. If you want to trace those, you can see them on the outline as to where else it is. Now, I think a very important verse comes from verse 22. It says, He came to... pass on a certain day that he went into a ship and his disciples and he said unto them let us go over unto the other side of the lake right think about that what is the meaning going over to the other side we're going to see when he gets to he, he when he gets over there he's in the land of the Gadarenes it's where he meets legion so but I want just a glimpse into that to the other side of the lake means to the land or the time of the Gentiles So this is a very obvious foretelling of the calling of the Gentiles on the other side of the lake. Land of the Gadarenes. But before he gets there, it says, and as as they sailed, he fell asleep. And they were in jeopardy. They felt they were in jeopardy. And they, so they woke him and said, He arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And, and, they, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And they, what man, and they said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and waves obey him? And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. If you were on Galilee, you'd be at what's today called the Golan Heights. The other side, straight across the, the Sea of Galilee from Tiberias. Uh, it would identify with the period of the Gentiles. But let's talk about, you know, we, you know, we, I guess we have our children and we live in a Christian, quote, community that talks about Christ calming the sea and the waves and, you know, it's a nice little scene we all love. Is that really what he was telling them? Of course it was not. He was going over to the other side. Christ, he, his, he was asleep. That's the period that he is in heaven. The wind speaks of nations, political powers. The water speaks of the water, the sea, the waves, speak of people, humanity. And we have, and we have suddenly come face to face with the realization that this is all under his control. When he calms the wind and the waves or the wind and the sea, it tells us that this whole earth is under his domination and his control. And this is what he was saying to his chosen. And this is what they should have learned as they rocked the boat on Galilee that night in a storm. That Christ was in the vessel and that he was in absolute control not only of the, the sea of humanity but of all the nations of the earth. Uh, because he says it better than me I want to read something from Eureka Uh,
Uh, which deals in this area. And, 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 and this is Brother Thomas's explanation of the nave being filled with smoke, which comes from Revelation uh, 15. Uh, but Shelton said I wouldn't get out of here without getting into the apocalypse. So, but this is really not that. Uh, he, he, sp he says, the supervisor, director, and developer of this power, and that's the powers that, uh, are the, that manifest the power of God, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He that liveth and was, and was dead and is now alive for the aeon of the aeons. That is therefore now the Lord, the Spirit. He stirred up Alaric, Attila, Genseric, and Odiasa, and girded them for their mission against the earth and sea, the rivers and fountains of waters, and the sun, moon, and stars of the western Roman Catholic world. He caused the Byzantine or eastern Roman dominion to pass from the degenerate Greeks to the more vigorous and less superstitious and blasphemous Ottomans. He raised his witnesses from political death and placed them in the heaven where they demolished the Bourbon kings. And, and as the earnest of what is coming on a grander scale, abolished the superstition and dominion of the papacy in France. Having punished the royal family, nobility, priests, and people of France by the terrorists for putting his witnesses to death, he commenced the pouring of the seven golden vials of divine wrath. He girded the French with power to give the worshippers of the beast blood to drink and to scorch them with fire and to fill the papal kingdom with darkness. And so manifest was this that the first Napoleon could say, the hand of God leads my nations. None could successfully withstand them till their mission was accomplished. While they were in full career upon the continent of Europe, he made the British power invincible upon the sea, so that it became as a corpse, a blood of a corpse. All these things did the Lord Jesus Christ by his subordinate powers, so that upon the principle that what one doeth by his agents, he doeth by himself, he being the most holy or naive, the seven angels of spirits went forth from him to pour the vows of the wrath of deity upon the earth. So see, that is telling us very the calming of the sea and the, and the wind is Christ as he would be in absolute control over the next 2,000 years, the period of the two fish. Okay, we need faith and confidence, though he is absent in pre he is, although he is absent, he is present always. He caused the disciples to wonder what manner of man this is. We often marvel, and I think this comes true to each of us in the truth, we often marvel at the power of our Lord. And it's something that we have to really learn to appreciate that he counts the nations as a drop in the bucket. That is, that is as nothing. He controls the wind, the water, nations and people, political powers, the human race, all controlled for what reason? For his holy name's sake, for his purpose, which is to make his name a glory in the earth. There's nothing we can do about it, one way or the other. God must control, and if not according to his purpose, it is unacceptable and a sin. Jesus had said, we cannot make a hair, a hair of our head white or black. Yet our Father has all the hairs of our head numbered. Just think about that. He has the hairs of our heads numbered. So why should we worry? It's all, if, we, if it's according to his purpose, so be it. 
We, and it's, this is a, a submission. Remember, we, in earlier, one of those miracles was designed to show that authority was necessary. Well, see, here again, we have to recognize authority as it comes from, from deity. Right, the fifth miracle, casting the devils out of legion in the swine. Now, only Mark says that there was 2,000 swine. Matthew, incidentally, record, records two people sitting over there uh, with full of demons. Now, why would Matthew de deal with two? Let's just think of it. Matthew was the gospel of the Jews. Luke was the gospel to the Gentiles. So in a sense, it was important. Luke was going to focus on the Gentiles, so therefore he just dealt with one, although that probably had reference to the Jews. Matthew dealing with both was going to make it very aware of the fact that both Jews and Gentiles are full of demons. And demons equate to false ideas. And I don't think any of us have any problem with that. You know, we even use the expression, when somebody doesn't agree with us on a point, and I don't, I'm not talking about any truth now, but I'm talking about it just generally, you say to yourself, well, they're crazy. Well, see, that's the concept of this demons, uh, you know, people who are deranged with false ideas. I mean, we think of the man in Rome. If anybody was deranged and full of demons or devils or false spirits or have you want to depict it, he sure is. We want to come back to that in a moment. So de devils identifies with false ideas or beliefs. Blind and legion here, and we might take a look at, at him for a moment. Look in verse 27 of Luke 8. It says, He went forth to to land there, and it came out a certain man which had devils long time, wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice, saying, What shall I have to do with thee, Jesus, our Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. Isn't that a, a marvelous picture of apostate jury today? Isn't that what they say? If you've ever been around Jewish people, the one thing they holler is, what do we have to do with Jesus? You know, that, you know so, see, that, this is a picture, and, and look at how they depict it. He has no clothes, has no house. Why doesn't he have a house? His house has been shut. The law of Moses has passed away. And if he wasn't able to see the Abrahamic covenant, he ain't got a house. He's homeless. He's homeless and helpless and naked and blind and full of demons. That's apostate jury. Unless you get carried away with yourself, so is the Gentile world. Whether, you, whether they are, whatever denomination they are, they got, the head is not screwed on straight. And therefore, they are depicted as being full of demons. Now, in verse 33, well, let's read through. He says, He was kept bound with chains and in fetters. He broke the brands and was driven out of the devil into the wilderness. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, Christ healed him by sending the demons or the devils into 2,000 swine into the sea, and they all drowned. Now let's look at him. Verse 35. He went out to see this man. He came to Jesus and found a man of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Jesus said to him in 39, Return to thine own house and show how great things have been done unto thee. 
Okay, now let's, let's think a moment. Uh, we went back to an earlier miracle that we're told not to tell. Don't tell anybody. Go, go. The leper was told to go to the priest, offer the, what was required of the Mosaic law, and don't tell anybody about it. Legion is told to go to the house of Israel. That's, what's the conflict in the teaching? There is no conflict in the teaching. The 2000 becomes important because 2000 years has intervened. And at the end of 2000 years, Legion, the Jewish people, apostate jury, will become clothed and in their right mind and sit at the feet of Jesus and be told, and be told to go to the house of Israel and tell what's done to you. Not to the Gentiles, to the house of Israel. So you see this little story, this miracle of Legion, is telling us what's going to happen to the Jews over a 2,000 year period of time. The beginning of the period, they're full of demons, they're crazy. At the end, they're clothed and in their right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Miracle 5. Okay? Okay, I think we've, uh, maybe I want a couple more points. I mean, let's look at Mark 5 and 6. This again is, is the story of, we're still in, uh, in Legion. Mark 5, 6, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. It tells us that afar off, and again, when he will, they will see the Messiah, he will worship. That would bring us to the end of the 2,000 years, the time to favor Zion. So it's interesting how Mark says that he saw him afar off and came and worshipped him. Again, speaking to those at the end of the sixth day. The Jews of the early millennial days are then depicted in Luke 8.35. The man, Zion, restored, the natural Jew. He's now clothed, or he is now in covenant relationship. He's in his right mind, understanding and walking in favor, sitting at the feet of Jesus, or continuing to learn and to apply their precepts, the precepts of the Lord to their probationary walk. Now remember, in this, at this time, of the millennium, the Jews will be the number one nation. They will return to favor. They will again become the right hand as the man with the withered right hand. His hand won't be withered, but they will be have a probationary walk. And Luke 8 has told us, as we mentioned, tells that the whole house of Israel will be taught. Jesus then passes to the other side, an end of the 2,000-year period. We now reach the millennial period. We are, if you wanted to place this in the apocalypse, we are in the thunder period of Revelation 18. Now, when we come to the last two miracles, the healing of Jairus' daughter and the healing of the woman with the issue of blood 12 years, uh, again in Luke uh, eight 
I think it's important. You notice in verse 41, it says, Behold, there came a man unto him named Jared. And he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about, about twelve years of age, and she lay a dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. So here's a man, and by the way, Jairus means the enlightener, which we'll come to in a moment, I think. Uh, but before he can do anything, this woman with an issue of blood 12 years, which says she spent all her living upon physicians, verse 43, neither could be healed, came behind him and touched the garment, the border of his garment, and immediately uh, she was healed. Jesus asked, who touched me? The disciples said, look, you know, what do you mean, who touched you? It's a big crowd of people, and it's easy to be touched. Uh, her faith immediately healed her, but while this was occurring, Jairus now comes back and says, Lord, don't bother, my daughter is dead. So don't, don't be bothered. Christ says, you know, fear not, only believe, and she shall be made whole. He goes to Jairus' house, takes Peter, James, and John, the same three who would witness the transfiguration, and her mother and father into the house, and there he raises the girl. Okay. Jairus approached the Lord first with the problem. His daughter was dying at the point of death. Before the Lord can respond to Jairus, the woman who had spent all that she had on physicians and was still in the same condition, or maybe worse, hard to touch his garment, thinking if she could but touch the hem of his garment, she would be made whole. She did touch his garment and was made whole. The disciples were perplexed that Christ asked who troubled who touched me, for in so great a multitude pressed him. The woman was healed by her faith. Christ told her her faith had made her whole go in peace. Twelve years, I note, she had been with an issue of blood. According to Moses' law, twelve denoting covenant relationship, we are led to believe that this woman represents those Gentiles who answer the Aeonian good news call when the period of Zion's favor is come. This belief is further indicated as logical when we look at the interrelationship of the miracle with Jairus' daughter. Remember now, Legion is in his white mind, clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, told to go to the house of Israel. Jairus comes forward saying, my daughter's dying, come touch, come help her. The woman intervenes, touches the hem of his garment. She's made whole after being sick for 12 years. It, it appears that we are dealing with Jews, and Gentile in the millennial period, the period of the Aeonian good news. Because when Christ returns, remember one of his first functions is to gather the house of Israel together. Secondly, we have the Aeonian good news from Revelation 14.5, which has to be preached. We believe that this woman with the issue of blood is those who answer the millennial call, the Aeonian good news. What a, the healing of this 12-year-old girl, so we said Jesus, or Jairus' name means enlightenment. Remember the interruption of the problem while the woman was healed. While he was speaking out, one from the synagogue said, comes and says, trouble not the master. Jesus says, fear not, only believe, and she shall be made whole. Matthew, the gospel to the Jews, says this certain ruler said, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand on her, and she shall live. Mark says she is at the point of death. Note the picture. 
Jairus the Enlightenment, the girl about 12 years old, at the point of death, need to see and perceive the favor of Yahweh. See, that's what they've got to understand at that moment in time. Jesus takes the three who would witness the transfiguration shortly with him. Peter, whose name means, his name is Cephas, which means the rock upon whom the ecclesia is founded. James, whose name means, whose name is Jacob, which means a supplanter. And Yah, John, whose name means Yah's grace or Yah's favor. Those three, along with her father and mother. Now, if you look at, let's look at Isaiah 51. To, to see why her father and mother are present. Isaiah 51, 2. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. And then look at Galatians 4, 22 and 28. Which things on, I'm sorry, verse 22. For is it written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman? 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. 26. For Jerusalem, which is above all, which is the mother of us all. So we believe that we have present here the rock, the supplanter, Yah's grace, along with Abraham and Sarah, which are representative of, firstly, the father of the multitude, and the second, a free woman, uh, which is a, identifies with the covenant. Uh, the girl was restored to life. The new covenant of Jeremiah 31 is implanted. If you notice, Jairus' daughter is restored to life and he tells them to tell no one again until she was to be given meat. Well, we think that the meat that she had to understand was to become in the, into the Abrahamic covenant. A, a contrast now. Legion was told to tell the house of Israel. Jairus in the land, where they had crossed back into Galilee, was to tell no one. The teaching at this juncture in the... The teaching at this juncture in the land would be done by the immortal throng, the 144,000 of the symbolic number, until the Jews were fed meat and become related to the new covenant as would shortly come to pass. So when you look at these two miracles, you see what Jesus is really teaching his disciples is that the position of Jew and Gentile in the age to come, or at the time of the end of the sixth day and the beginning of the seventh day. Uh, the woman with the issue of blood would be identified as those who hear the Aeonian good news in, at that period. Jairus' daughter, the Jewish people, who, we, who have two facets, remember, because we live in a period in which we have the Jews that live in Israel, and we have the Jews that live in the world, the diaspora Jews. We'll call them, for the sake of ease, Judah and Ephraim. And if you look in Ezekiel 37, it speaks of the two sticks of the house of Israel having to come together. Isaiah 11 speaks of it. In fact, let's take a look at Isaiah 11, 11. 
I think it's an interesting point here. Uh, and it works right to this, I'm sorry, it's 13. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. Well, you know, we've lived in a, in a period in which Ephraim and Judah have vexed each other. The Jews of the diaspora and the Jews, the Israelis, have a lot of conflicts. Uh, those days will pass when we come to this, and these are the same two sticks that are spoken of in Ezekiel 37. Well, we think that Jericho's daughter identifies with the Jews who are living in the, the land of Israel at the reappearance of Christ in the earth. Okay, so when, and the woman with the issue of blood, again, the Gentiles. So we have these two, both following the miracle with Legion. Yeah, as an overview, we just want you to think of how much, as, you, as we've looked through these 11 miracles, think how much Christ revealed to, his, to the 12. These are not a bunch of disjointed and disconnected miracles that he was performing, but it was a composite designed to show them and us things that would come to pass. At the time of the 6th and 7th is the end of the 6th day, the beginning of the 7th. The people are Jews and Gentiles, ready to learn the Aeonian good news and relate to the new covenant of the age. The saints are to assist in the teaching with Elijah working with the Jews. And we don't have time, but for those of you who would pursue this subject, remember Elijah will be the great ingatherer of the Jewish people. The ingathering of Isaiah 11, 11 is, is operative. Okay, returning to the disciples, the twelve then and us today. Just meditate upon the great words of truth our Lord was teaching them and us. They and we should be familiar with the law and the prophets. He told them of all things that had been, were then, and would be. I want you to think about that. See, he told them not only things that had happened in the early in the fifth and sixth day, and the seventh, he told them things that had happened in the third and fourth day, which they would be familiar with. Two thousand years forward and backwards, that's four days. And a look at the fifth and sixth and eighth. Fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Mark records this beautifully for the fourth watch of the night. He came walking upon the sea. If you look in Mark 6, 46-48, it says that Jesus came walking to them upon the fourth watch. We are almost at the fourth watch. Maybe, may we be watching and praying. I will want to take one moment and look at the, the signs two and three, if I got one moment. Do I have a moment? Okay. All right, we turn to, to John 4. Forty-nine. Jesus said unto them, Forty-eight. Jesus said unto them, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, hear my child die. Jesus said, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. 
And as he was going down, his servant said unto him, met him and told him, Thy son liveth. Then he inquired of them the hour when he began to mend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the table left him. I don't think any of us have any problem. The seventh hour, the nobleman's son, the Jewish people, the, the feeble, will leave them on the seventh hour, the millennial period. Let's look at sign three. The impotent man is in John 5. Uh, it begins, there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, this fellow says, in, in, around this pool of Bethesda, which means house of mercy, was a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Now think about that, moving of the water. Who can calm the sea and the water? Christ. All right. There was a man, in verse 5, says he'd had an infirmity of 38 years. Jesus immediately told him to, you know, rise, take up your bed and walk. The man was made whole. Okay, the impotent man, 38 years. And I don't think we can pass this without thinking that Israel wandered in the wilderness 38 years. Now, for those of you who like numbers, add 38 years to 47 and 48, and you come to 85 and 86. All right, this one who is waiting for Jesus at the, at the house of mercy, the Jewish people equated to, and remember they have been, there's no question in verse 3, this great multitude sitting around waiting for the water that are blind, halt, and withered, certainly describe the Jewish people of our time. And they've been in that condition since the day that, that nation was formed, 1947-48. At the end of 38 years, what was going to happen? The one who healed the impotent man would come and tell him to rise up and take his bed and walk. Now we've already, by looking at Legion, Jairus' daughter, we know the end of the story. Okay, I want to look, take one last look from the great discourse that John gave, that Christ gave in John 5, on the second page of the outline, remember, the first point, until now my Father worketh, and now I am working. Christ is in his present condition, calming the sea and the winds. He's in control. They blow as he permits them to blow, and they cast up water as he permits them to cast up. Verse 6, I mean, point six, search the scriptures. And this is a real message to particularly young and, and others of us who are not so young. To search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. That word search comes from a Greek word, arano, which means to search as a, an animal follows a scent, a trail. And, and I think it's very important because a lot of things that we read in the scriptures we have to read with a spiritual, with a spiritual eye. It, it says a lot more than we read in black and white. And that's what that word search implies to you and to me. And if we don't do it, brethren, we are not brethren, we are merely fellow servants. Okay. Point seven. I came in my Father's name. You received me not but will receive one who comes in his own name. Now let's think about that a minute. He says, I came in my Father's name and you received me not. But you will receive one who comes in his own name. Well, who came in his own name? The apostate church. 
And that was right, because that's exactly who the preponderance of the world accepted. The one who came in his own in his name, not the one who came in the Father's name. And that's the challenge to you and to me who live in the Laodicean period. We must be very careful because we are living in this period that it requires a great deal of concentration to become familiar with the Word of God, to search the Scriptures. Because in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. I think time's up.